So Tim Scott now is endorsing Trump in South Carolina. He's from South Carolina and otherwise is endorsing Trump in, in all respects for president. He's very effusive about his love of Trump. It's wonderful. Uh, to which Nikki Haley is saying, hey, what about me? I mean, I, I thought you, you liked me and, and we were two peas in a pod and all that stuff, right? In other words, she's, she's upset with his loyalty to him, having previously said that, she, that he would support her. Well, now it doesn't seem that way. All right, well, uh, you know, <clears throat> physician heal thyself, I suppose. It's a taste of her own medicine because she herself has decided that she's not going to be uh, supporting Trump and she's actively running against him. Uh, and, <laughs> it's like, and now she's complaining that Tim Scott is not endorsing her. Anyway, it, it's, it's all a big kerfuffle at this point. Look, she has no chance of uh, winning the, uh, the, the presidency, uh, and certainly not the nomination, and I just, I just don't see it. Uh, DeSantis, even though he won uh, the second place in, Ohio, uh, what is it, Iowa, yes, uh, even though he won there, the fact is that it's just not going to work out for him either. He's, they're both losers. And I, as I've, I've said on Newsmax many times already, the, the reality is that they are just hoping that Somehow they will serve the role of understudy to this play. <laughs> Trump, uh, if he gets sick somehow or dies, God forbid, or is otherwise incapacitated, well, there they are, ready for the, to rock and roll as the understudy. This is their day, right? That's about it. That's all they have to offer, and it's, it's all for nothing. At this point, what's going to happen very soon um, is that Trump will again win New Hampshire and then South Carolina by landslide. Uh, South Carolina in particular, he'll win by landslide. And the nomination process will effectively be over. Uh, everyone else will bow out and they will have to support Trump. And we will have now the longest uh, general election campaign season in many decades because that's, that's what's going to happen. It'll be Trump against Biden. Now, the, to me, I'm more certain that Trump will be the nominee than I, I am that Biden will be the nominee. I just I don't see it. The, the guy is clearly suffering from dementia. He, uh, even if he weren't, his popularity now is down in the low 30s. Uh, nobody seems to respect him. Certainly the world doesn't respect him. Uh, nobody seems to appreciate his attempt to gaslight them regarding the economy, regarding world affairs, regarding uh, inflation, regarding just about anything. He seems to think that everyone thinks he's wonderful. You even have, uh, what's her name? Uh, Jean-Pierre, Karine Jean-Pierre, saying that somehow it's going to be a slow burn. People will eventually realize how good they feel. <laughs> I mean, this is not about, first of all, it's not about feelings. It's, it's about reality. You know, people don't feel good one way or the other about the $5, $6 that they have to pay at the gas pump. It's not a question of feeling, right? It's a question of your pocketbook. And how does that feel? Okay, that, that's the only feeling that might, might come into play here. So Biden is already suffering dramatically in the polls. The Democrats know that they're going over the cliff. They don't know what to do. Because if they do change Biden to, let's say, Gavin Newsom or anybody else, they, they could push him away. They could basically convince him, sir, you should not be running for a second term. You should play out the rest of this term. Sure, absolutely. We're not asking you to step aside right now. But we are asking you to not run for a second term. That would be easy for them to do. But I suppose the reason why, Devin, is that uh, maybe they just feel that by asking him to step aside that somehow it's an admission of failure, 
right? That they screwed up somehow, that, that Biden is a bad president. So they have to join him along in the gaslighting impression, right? They, they, they not only believe his lies, but they believe their own lies because they must believe that somehow it's okay. Everyone has to participate in this lie because the facts are very bad for them. The economy is not good. Inflation is not good. The world situation is horrible and they have to believe it. They have to believe somehow that it's a good thing that's going on. Very bizarre. Uh, so Iowa uh, was a really good reflection. He actually did better than everyone expected, a little bit better. The expectations were about 50%. He got 51 or 52%, I believe. And it was a pretty smashing hit uh, in Iowa. So we'll see what happens in New Hampshire. I suspect that Trump will again win. He'll have a slightly uh, more narrow victory there. But that victory, it's expected that uh, Haley will get, what, 36%, and then Trump will probably get something like 45%. Okay, <laughs> that's still a slaughter. That's still a landslide in anyone's book. So, but it's, it's very funny. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe Haley will do what, uh, what's his name did, um, Howard Dean did back in 2004. Do we have that clip? Yeah, let's go ahead and play it. You know something? You know something? If you had told us one year ago that we were going to come in third in Iowa, we would have given anything for that. And you know something? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Yeah! <laughs> it just, I, you know, Devin, every once in a while when I really want to pump myself up before a court hearing or before a speech, I, I just play Howard Dean's little speech right there and, and that pumps me up. <laughs> What's that you say? That's the reason why it totally flattened his campaign when, when he ran for the for the next states, I mean, it was a disaster for him as a result of that. That one clip, and everyone is cheering him on. It's really hysterical. <laughs> that one clip uh, and that one little statement that he said, the hia and all that stuff, that's what de destroyed him. Anyway, will, will Nikki Haley do something like that if she gets second place and it's uh, only 36% and will she, will she go crazy like that? Like, like, will she go full Howard Dean about this? I don't know. But I thought that was a fun clip to play. But th that is history for you. And I, I think that everyone is very, very scared when it comes to the Democrat side against our, our good friend uh, Donald Trump. They're, they're terrified about him. They, they've gotten themselves into a tizzy, folks. W why do I say that? Because they believe so strongly that Trump is a racist, that he's going to destroy democracy. They've really got themselves into this you know, this never-ending spiral of depression about it. And, and look, these were the same people who were crying to the sky when, when Trump won, right? They couldn't believe that this was happening. And now they're at it again, and it's even worse. They, they feel like he's going to destroy this country. Never mind, of course, that we, we all know he's actually going to be fantastic for the country. Half of the country thinks that he's going to be fantastic for the, for the country. He's going to repeat what he did in his first term. Uh, and in fact, maybe even do better than that because he'll be wiser and not hire a bunch of Democrats uh, in, as insiders in his cabinet. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be smarter all the way through. 
Uh, and the other half thinks that it's going to be the end of not only America, but civilization itself, right? So only one of them can be right. I mean, I, I, I imagine that for, certainly it's not, I don't believe it's going to be the end of democracy. On the contrary, it'll be the, the improving of democracy, if anything. What he's going to do once he becomes president, and, and I do believe he's going to be president, then he, he's going to actually make our election laws a little bit more um, integrated. Uh, he will demand and, and strongly encourage uh, IDs for voting. I think that's only fair. I think he'll try to temper down mail-in voting ballots. Of course, now this is a state-by-state -state thing, so he he has only so much uh, power to do so. But I think I think he's going to be really focusing on this quite quite a bit. He's going to encourage states to uh, to really ramp up their integrity when it comes to electioning. So uh, he, he will have the power of the bully pulpit. I think he'll win by a landslide. And as a consequence, I think a lot of the states will revamp everything that they do election-wise. Uh, there's a lot of hope here, my, my friends, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's really true. But look, the media it really is going into full mental crisis when it comes to the, the prospect, the prospect that uh, Donald Trump will become president. Do we have that clip from, uh, what's her name, Rachel Maddow from MSNBC? Yeah, she reflects uh, exactly what they're concerned about. At this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, the reason I'm saying this is, of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish it is a decision that we regularly revisit which means that it's not that it is a decision out of spite it is a decision that they relish and that it is it is a decision that they don't regularly revisit okay they, they, give me a break msnbc let's continue on um and honestly earnestly it is not an easy decision but there. And it is a very easy decision. Just cut him off. We don't want to give him any airtime whatsoever. I, you see, this is the example of what I'm talking about, how the Democrats believe their own lies. They say it. I, I think that Rachel Maddow actually believes it. I think a lot of Democrats actually believe it. They think they're doing something wonderful for the country by silencing and censoring and deplatforming Trump and, for that matter, many other Republicans. I really believe that. But, but here we are. Right. She's, she's saying it. She's and, and that's why they slip up. We'll get to Fannie Willis in a moment because that's that's an example of them uh, slipping up. But let's continue on with what she has to say. There is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. That is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them. Yeah, so by the way, that was from Sky News from Australia. I, I love Sky News. They, they are very, very funny. Uh, they're very conservative, and they also present news in a very reasonable and a very objective way, uh, but also understand the madness of it. it. Look, to be objective today, you, you simply call it out like it is, right? It, that's all it is. That's the essence of it. Uh, a man cannot be a woman. That's objective fact, right? Uh, a short person is a short person, and a fat person is a fat person. Those are facts as well. That's all we have to do today. And, and you're deemed conservative by, by simply calling out these basic facts, right? That, that people 
uh, can vote just fine without an ID, right? That, that somehow they, they think, that, uh, sorry, that, that people will be able to vote with an ID. That's an objective fact. They cannot present any fact that somehow it's difficult to get IDs. And if it is difficult for you to get an ID for whatever reason, maybe you shouldn't be voting it in the first place. Maybe you're not competent to vote. If you can't have the capacity to obtain a simple library card, it doesn't have to be a driver's license, by the way. If you can't get that, and then you're expected to actually be able to cogently decide issues that affect the entire nation, politically, legally, and otherwise... Well, it really, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be voting, okay? I mean, I, it's as simple as that. I, anyway, it's very simple. Uh, but people are, of course, devastated and just terrified of the possibility that Trump might uh, get elected. Uh, take a look at what uh, your friend, uh, Devin, Kamala Harris, I don't know why you hang out with her, but we really should discuss this a little bit later. But when Kamala Harris goes on The View, she expresses how she's scared as heck about the prospect of Trump becoming president. I've got some thoughts about that. Hang on. Now, are, are you scared, first of all, what could happen if Trump ever became, God forbid, president again? And what are you going to do to stop the crazies? I am scared as heck. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I'm traveling our country. You know, there's an old saying that there are only two ways to run mm. for office, either without an opponent or scared. So on all of those points, yes. We should all be scared. Yeah. But. Okay, so <laughs> she, that's also from Sky News, by the way. Excellent uh, sourcing. So the view basically says, you know, God forbid Trump wins. I mean, as if, as if somehow there's any sort of pretense of objectivity whatsoever about what the view has to say. But you, you, you get the idea. They are scared as heck, right? And Kamala Harris says it. Now, obviously, in in uh, in more private company, I, I'm sure she uses a much stronger phrase than "scared as heck," uh, but I really do think they are scared. And you wouldn't you wouldn't hear Trump talking about this about his opponents. This is the way democracy works. I mean, I I, I think it's so funny. Like two ways to run, she says, right? One without an opponent, uh, an opponent, and one scared. Well, you shouldn't be scared because that's the essence of democracy. That's like. Like me as a lawyer, right? I, I mean, I, I would love uh, for my clients to win without any opposition, but I expect the opposition. Am I afraid of my opposition? Of course not. Of course not. It's, it's silly. And it's embarrassing for her, I, I think. She doesn't realize that she's embarrassing herself when she says that she's scared as heck about this. What she should be saying is, I don't know, I, I just put words in her mouth if, if I like here, but she should, she should say, look, uh, I'm not scared. I know that we will beat Donald Trump. Uh, he's entitled to push out his ideas and we're entitled to push out our ideas. I think our ideas are more in line with the, what the American people want. And because of that, we will win. Uh, in fact, I think they're much more in line uh, on issues of blah, 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 and blah, 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 right? That's all she has to say. Instead, she reveals that she's indeed scared. So uh, maybe that's a messaging that she wants to project, that you should be scared too, and therefore you should vote and vote for the Democrats, of course, uh, that, that's that's the uh, the way that they roll. Funny people, the Democrats, um, but they they think that there should be no uh, opposition whatsoever. That's that's the right way somehow. <laughs> it wouldn't it, wouldn't it be ideal if they didn't have opposition? Well, that's that's their game plan the entire time. In 2020, I, I know that there's been that effort, uh, and it's it's not necessarily that they 
uh, stuff the ballot box, although I think there's some of that going on. There was some videos of that. I don't know if it was enough to change the votes. It's not enough. You know, did they did they throw in mail-in ballots and did they swamp uh, this or that uh, precinct? I don't know for sure. Uh, all those things that could have happened. All we do know, however, is that there were so many anomalies, something like 19 or 20 anomalies that never happened before uh, or uh, didn't happen for 100 years, something like that. And they all happened at the same time, all these 20 anomalies. Look, as a statistician, and I, I mean, I guess an amateur statistician, but I'm a good one, that is bizarre. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't roll with any sense of logic, but we have exactly that. And, and he ended up losing uh, with, what was it, uh, 10 million votes more for, for Trump? Uh, again, one of, the, one of the many anomalies. Uh, I, I think, look, there was different kinds of um, swindling the American public different kinds of rigging the, the electorate. Uh, one of them was, of course, through social media, through Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and so on. They suppressed information about Hunter Biden. That was a biggie. They, they suppressed a lot of information. Uh, and they also encouraged, of course, the Russian collusion story. That was in 2016, I know. But nevertheless, they, they still continue these stories. And uh, that, that ended up really affecting the vote as well. So when you have the government actually working with social media, telling them what to say and what not to say, what to suppress, we've got problems on our hands. Uh, but I think when things are so drastic, things are so bad in the economy as it is now uh, under Biden, uh, you are going to have more and more people realize that they just can't afford another four years of this guy. Uh, who It doesn't seem to have any game plan. There's no way you can say that anything that he's been doing is somehow impressing anybody or improving the economy or improving America, improving world relations. Uh, it's a disaster. It, it, on every score, on every platform that you can think of, bad things are happening and have happened, right? You've got the border. <laughs> You've got what happened in Afghanistan, which it, they, they hoped everyone would forget, but it, it keeps on cropping up because it's so... Uh, um, What's that? Symbolic or so? Such a so it follows a pattern so much of his incompetence, and then of course uh, with Ukraine doesn't have any game plan for that. What he should have said in that, and this is not my thinking, by the way. This is, uh, I believe, it was either Dennis Prager's uh, thoughts or Mark Levin's thoughts, uh, but I, I agree with what 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 they said, which is that he should basically be saying, "Look, the the game plan is to make sure that the Russians don't get any more land. Period. That's it. Hold them off." period, we are done. And if they can do that, then that's considered a win. But instead, he, he insists that whatever the Ukrainians want, that's what we want. All right, well, that's not, that's not a good game plan. We're just draining our resources. When it comes to Hamas and Israel, I think that uh, October 7th would never have happened. But for the fact that Biden was the president, they knew that, that Biden was very fickle, wouldn't be able to uh, really push against Hamas and the Palestinians. Uh, instead, he actually uh, gave more money to the Palestinians. Uh, and, and it's very terrorist-friendly, let's put it that way. It's just a terrorist-friendly sort of president. You know, it, it's, t it's high time we have a pro-terrorism president, right? That's what the Democrats must be saying because that's what they're doing. Uh, and, and also, they, they allowed this to happen, and now they know that, that Biden will be pressuring Israel to ceasefire and to retreat and everything else because the numbers are just too darn high, uh, because it's not proportional enough, uh, all, all those crazy reasons that they provide. It's not going to work uh, at the end of the day with Israel, but that's because Israel has to fight back and push back on Biden. But they know, they just knew that they could do this. 
And uh, I, I think the only thing they didn't calculate was the response of the Israelis. But we'll get back to that at another point. Uh, so anyway, the, the economy is not working. They can't say that the inflation has been really tamed down. Bad things are happening. The stock market is improving. There's no doubt about that. I mean, and, and that I think they're, they're really glomming onto that to some extent. But they, that doesn't mean very much to somebody who is unemployed. That doesn't mean very much to somebody who has to pay $6 at the gas pump or these crazy prices for eggs. I don't even know how much eggs cost anymore. I, I don't eat eggs, as you know. I, I'm vegan. I don't eat dairy products. But milk and eggs uh, and meat, for that matter, are going up you know, beyond the roof. It's crazy. It shouldn't be that way. Um, so they, they, he cannot convince them that their lives are good. You, you just can't. It's like, I don't know, it's like the therapist trying to tell this couple that, that uh, she's trying to therapize, I suppose, if that's a word, that somehow their marriage is fantastic and, and it's, uh, that they should continue on. And why are you coming to me with your problems? <laughs> but the couple is saying, it's not working. We, we, we want to split up. And the therapist keeps on saying, no, no, you, you, you can stay. You guys are great. <laughs> you just, you're wonderful together. I don't know. America is not doing well. We are printing money like nobody's business. We are selling out our interests to the Chinese, to the Ukrainians, to the Russians, no less, to the Romanians, and I believe to the cartels as well, right? And the fentanyl crisis, it, there's just no avenue, no platform that you can point to that, where you can say things really have improved under Biden on, on X platform, okay? I, anyway, email if you like. And tell me if, if, if you disagree with me about that. Info at Lurie-Law.com. That's info at Lurie-Law.com. Well, you can write me about anything, but I'd, I'd be very curious about that particular point. Is there anything that Biden has done where you can say, you know what, this was something that really, really improved America and Trump was uh, not good at this department? Okay, just, just one. I'd like to hear it. Don't think you'll be able to find it. Anyway, of course, as you know, the attacks upon Trump are continuing on. He has four, count them, four uh, indictments against him. And all of them are falling apart one way or the other. He's got the real estate case, uh, which is not a, a criminal matter, but nevertheless a civil case. He's also got the defamation case by this uh, E. Carroll, what's, his, what's her name? E. Jean Carroll, a uh, woman who claims that she was damaged as a result of his defamatory comments. Uh all these cases have their own reasons for falling apart. I'll start off with that last one first. The defamation case, uh, it, it doesn't really fly from a legal point of view. That's not to say that the jury won't award a big amount against Trump because they don't like Trump. So from a legal point of view, there's really no case here. That The main point is that you can't have, you have judicial immunity. Uh, I'm sorry, absolute privilege. That's what I should be saying. Absolute privilege when it comes to comments that you make that, are related to a judicial proceeding, right? So if, if you have, let's say, a simple breach of contract case and you claim that the other side is lying uh, and it turns out that the jury feels otherwise, that, that the other, they feel like the other side was not lying, okay? Have you defamed this person? Well, outside of a judicial proceeding, you might have defamed him. You might be considered a defamation. But inside a judicial proceeding, or if you were commenting about it, even if you're outside the courtroom, that's that's absolutely privileged. You you can't get around that. It's it's uh, there. You have to show malicious uh, malicious malice and and uh, reckless disregard for the truth. 
Uh, it, it has to be, be more than an opinion, uh, and so on. So for that reason, that case, the defamation case, should never have been brought. I think the underlying case against him uh, claiming sexual assault when he when she had actually said it was specific rape, uh, there was no uh, evidence of that. It's actually counter-logical. So, you know, d- does he get to say that 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 she defamed him? I mean, right? Because the jury found that there was no rape. There was only, quote unquote, only sexual assault, right? So what, how, how do you get around that? Anyway, that case will eventually go nowhere. Same thing with this uh, case in Georgia, the Fannie Willis matter, where she uh, apparently had this relationship, okay, uh, with this man whom she appointed to be the special prosecutor in the matter, right? This is, <laughs> it, it doesn't look good, okay? It just doesn't look good. And now uh, there's going to be a, a hearing which will take place in Georgia next month over the accusations that this is from National Review, by the way, that Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis and her lead prosecutor on the county's election interference case against former President Donald Trump had an improper relationship and mishandled taxpayer funds. A hearing is scheduled for February 15. Uh, lawyers for Roman called for Willis and prosecutor Nathan Wade to be removed from the case. Uh, I think that's very appropriate, and she will be. I think if anything is done correctly here. And for the charges against Roman to be dismissed uh, on the grounds that the district attorney and the special prosecutor had have been engaged in an improper clandestine personal relationship during the case, which has resulted in the special prosecutor and in turn the district attorney profiting significantly from this prosecution at the expense of the taxpayers. What, what they mean by that, by the way, is that the fact that I think she had arranged for payment of $600,000 uh, to her, I guess, Paramore, and then there's a divorce proceeding in the process. It's very salacious and very disgusting, but something is really wrong. Uh, something is really rotten, as they say in the state of Denmark. So Wade has been paid more than half a million dollars through his involvement in prosecuting the Trump election interference case. Uh, and now from Town Hall, this says <clears throat> McAfee's order appears to be forcing her to do in televised court proceedings that this hearing will be televised a development that could at the least be very embarrassing for her and at the worst derail the investigation completely. I think that that's what's, what's going to happen. The, the, um, the call for a mistrial uh, is very appropriate here. It could be actually dismissed without prejudice, which means that they can refile so long as it's within the statute of limitations uh, and proceed uh, you know, against Trump the same way. But at that point, they would have to find somebody who's uh, neutral and they would have to reevaluate the case again. There's a good chance they would say, you know what, I, I'll think twice about doing this. I, I don't know if we're going to proceed with that way. But, but how does Fannie Willis uh, now respond to this? They, they, she responds by saying that this is a racist thing, right? So I, I, it's always a go-to thing. What a shame it is. I mean, look, I'm not black, but if someone were to say, you know, you know I am Jewish, if someone... A Jew were to say every time that he's accused of something bad, uh, you know, financial impropriety or sexual misconduct or anything, embezzlement, I, and then he said, this is because I'm Jewish. I, I would be so embarrassed on behalf of my people. Why don't you just say, no, I, I didn't do this. Uh, the, the truth will come out and that's that. But instead you have to play the, in the, in the example I just gave, the anti-Semitic card, well, she's certainly playing the, the race card. And that's the first, you know, unfortunately, it's the go-to thing. 
So it's so funny. You'll you hear this clip where she speaks at the uh, AME church, I believe. And she says that, gosh, everyone will claim that I, I'm playing the race card. And then what does she do? She plays the race card. You've got to hear this. This is You couldn't invent this. So let's, let's play this. Do we have the clip? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, she gonna play the race card now. But no, God, isn't it them who's playing the race card when they only question one? Isn't it them playing the race card when they constantly think, I need someone from some other jurisdiction in some other state to tell me how to do a job I've been doing almost 30 years. I just want to say that I'm quite confused about this. <laughs> I don't know what she's trying to say. She is blaming people for a claim that she's going to use the race card. And then she actually does use the race card. And then she says, well, you know, can you believe they're actually targeting me and they're having somebody who's from another jurisdiction, you know, look over my shoulder? Well, that's the way it works. What do you expect? I mean, like you, you expect to be able to do something that's nefarious like what you did giving your boyfriend the lead and giving him a lot of money in the process. And, and then <laughs> you're supposed to, to, to investigate yourself. Is that, is that how it works? I, I don't quite understand where she's going with this, but there it is. Uh, that, that particular case is going to fall apart for that reason, plus the fact that the actual substance of the case makes no sense, right? This is the election interference case. This is the one where they claim that he was trying to get more votes, you know, and create more votes for me. Uh, you know, he says, find the votes, meaning like, where are they? Count them. You know, you're, you're just leaving a bunch of ballot boxes and you're not being very diligent. That's what he was saying. And the problem with the um, the problem with the prosecution of this case in particular, because it is a criminal statute, uh, is that you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And it's very difficult for them to establish that what Trump meant was for the D, the, um, uh, the Secretary of State to fabricate votes. That's what he really meant beyond a reasonable doubt. Okay, so it's. It's, it's a, th these are obviously very well-timed. They're designed together with the other three criminal indictments to derail Trump. And we all know that, that instead of actually uh, tarnishing his image, it actually is, has improved his image and has actually caused him to escalate in terms of his popularity among the electorate, especially among the Republicans. Uh, this has all backfired in a very dramatic way for the uh, Democrats. And what's going to happen when these cases eventually all flounder for their own particular reasons, right? The, the, uh, the New York case, the, the real estate financial case, that will flounder and eventually be reversed on appeal for a whole bunch of reasons. It's, I've, I've discussed this many times. There's no actual plaintiff. There are no real damages. There's no causation. Other than that, they have a fantastic case, uh, but that will be reversed on appeal. This Fulton case that we just talked about, um, the election interfering case, that will be thrown out. The uh, claim, that the January 6th claim that somehow he's participating in an insurrection, that case will be thrown out because they can't really establish that he actually engaged in any sort of insurrection. Again, beyond reasonable doubt, very hard to do. Uh, all these cases can't survive. They can't. And when they all go one by one, and a lot of them will go beyond the November election because that's the way uh, courts work. They, they have to take, it takes a long time to go through the process. They, they have to have... Um, discovery and all sorts of depositions. And then there's the trial calendar themselves. Uh, you know, that, that the fact that they're trying to time it in such a way, I think they're going to have a very tough time. 
Uh, and then even if he does somehow lose on any of these things, then there's the appeal. And then it'll be reversed on appeal. And during the, you think for a moment he's going to go to jail? Really? I mean, the, these people reflect a desperation. Everything that they do is desperate. As the simple example of the fact that they want to take Trump off the ballot on these various states. And, and each state is looking to the other to say, can we do that too? Do you think we can do that? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, cool. Wouldn't it be great if somehow Trump cannot be on the ballot in all 50 states? Wow, that would be so glorious. And that would really compromise his ability to, to become the nominee. Right? This is, that, that's desperate. That's just desperate. And when they throw in phrases like, this is the end of democracy, that's desperate too. They, de- they never run, do they? You know, it's funny, and nobody's actually bringing this up, Devin. They never run on the actual agenda that he ran on um, between 2017 and 2021, right? That The actual things that he did. They don't say that he did a terrible job in the economy. They don't say that unemployment was terrible. They don't say that the that the, the, the uh, America was somehow in dire straits and was an insecure as a result of Trump, right? They, they have nothing. They don't talk about that at all. The most they can say is they say, well, he, he appointed a lot of conservatives to the Supreme Court and now we, have, we don't have abortion anymore. Okay, that's something. But other than that, they don't, they don't argue really on his record. They just tell you that it's going to be the end of America. It'll become a fascist country. You see? Never mind that he had that opportunity to make it a fascist country back when he was president, when he actually had some degree of control of the, the Congress and the Senate and it was all Republicans. But <laughs> never mind then. He, he, he just, he didn't take it. I guess he was stupid that way, right? That's one thing you don't really normally ascribe to President Trump, the word stupid. That's the last thing. So, okay, we're going to talk about what's happening with the Houthis and the Middle East now. Uh, it's fascinating because the Houthis have decided that they think it's going to be awesome to get involved. They want to escalate the, the Middle East situation. Iran in particular wants to escalate everything. Look at what's happening in the Middle East. It is going uh, really, it's, it's spiraling out of control. Uh, so now you even have Iran attacking Pakistan and, and vice versa. Don't tell me that it's, not, that it's been contained. It has not been contained. This is getting out of control. The Houthis are attacking American positions in Syria and Iraq. Uh, We are barely responding to them. We've waited too long, in my opinion, to respond at all. And when we do respond, it's somehow proportional, has to be just right, when he could easily destroy the Houthis, you know, overnight. Really, it's, it's, it's that simple. They don't have a meaningful air force. They don't have any real force out there that the Americans can't utterly destroy in a matter of hours. That's it. That's all they have to do. But he can't do that. He just somehow can't make himself do that. Now, you know, the, the one thing he did do, and it has to be the right thing to do because, I mean, he was forced to do it, is finally put the Houthis back on the terrorist watch list, uh, which he had taken them off uh, back in 2021. One of the very first things he did as president was to take the Houthis off the terrorist watch list. Why he did that, who knows, right? I mean, was it somehow advantageous to him? to take them off the terrorist watch list? Who knows? (laughs) But but somehow they think that being nice to them will endear them to us and everything will work out. It's, it's, It's the classic Democrat playbook when it comes to terrorism, when it comes to dictatorships. Uh, It's what they do with the Iranian deal, what they call the Iranian deal, uh, thinking that somehow we'll give them a lot of money 
and uh, that will be good enough. And we'll, we'll, you know, ease sanctions on them and bring them into the community of nations and they will stop their mad pursuit of the nuclear arms in their country. That's, that's their way of thinking. And it never works, but they continue doing it. Same thing with the, the Palestinians. They give uh, now three plus billion dollars every year to the Palestinian Authority. And guess what? Do they use it for infrastructure? Not so much. They use it for yeah, converting water pipes into missiles. That's what they do, right? And, and of course, they use it for purposes of, of going in and pay for slay, uh, where if you attack Israelis and kill them, well, then you're going to get paid for that, right? This is the way it works. When, when Trump came in, that's the first thing he did is he, he stopped the spigot of that. And surprise, surprise, the terrorism stopped. It, it was so simple. It just stopped. And right away, when, when Biden becomes president, he, he turns on the spigot again. What a weird duck. It's really, really weird. I'm beginning not to like this Biden guy, I got to tell you. All right, so look at how he responds, however, when he talks, and, and it's kind of a form of admission. When, when a reporter asks him right outside of the White House, hey, is, is this working the attack against the Houthis, are you stopping them? Listen to what he has to say. I, I think, do we have the clip? Yeah, go ahead and play it. Well, when you say working, are they stopping the Houthis? No. Are they going to continue? Yes. Well, gonna okay. So in case you couldn't hear it too clearly, he said, are, are we are attacking them? Is it working? No. <laughs> right? Are we going to continue? Yes. Well, okay. Wait a minute. We're the, I believe we're the most powerful military in the world. So why aren't you just obliterating them? Why is that a hard thing for you to concept, right? Just, just do it. And, and every time you don't do it, it only emboldens the Houthis and they continue to attack us. Uh, just, you just got to stop them, dead in their tracks. We know where they are. It's, it's not hard. But that's the mindset of the Democrat Party, not just Biden. It's the Democrat Party as well. In the meantime, two Navy SEALs are missing. They, we believe that they're probably dead. Uh, but they are um, not so much the, uh, the, the headline news, are they? Uh, many of you haven't even heard about that. But these are two Navy SEALs that just went missing. If that were just about any other uh, enterprise that we have militarily, that would be a very big deal. Nothing, just nothing. And who's doing that for them? The New York Times, the Washington Post, all the liberal media outlets, they're doing the bidding of the administration to not make a big deal of this because it could be embarrassing to Navy SEALs somehow lost. Who knows? It's all because of this fleck, feckless approach that the Biden administration takes to prosecuting this war. It is a war. They don't realize how to prosecute a war. They think it's a, a police action at best where you have to be very careful. You, maybe you have to Mirandize everyone. You know, before you actually approach them, maybe they should go over with their uh, F-23s and, and uh, bellow out somehow with leaflets. You know, you have the right to remain silent and so on. And never mind that that only applies to American citizens. Uh, I guess I'm being just, just trying to be too cheeky here. That's all. Okay. Uh, the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, however, uh, told Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu last week that Israel cannot defeat Hamas that there is no, quote, military solution, unquote, and that Israel will have to accept a Palestinian state. Netanyahu reportedly rejected the idea. <laughs> I wonder how he rejected the idea. 
yes, I believe the there were two words and one started with F and the other one started with Y. So I th- this idea that that we will have to accept that, really? I you you have no credibility, Joe Biden, and for that matter, Anthony Blinken. No credibility whatsoever. And we think that you're going to be out soon enough anyway. Why should we we do anything that we have to accept the idea of a two-state solution. So now that they've revealed their cards, they, this administration thinks that a two-state solution is the answer. Uh, Israel, believe me, knows that a two-state solution is impossible. The only way it could possibly work, and it will not work once I say the, the, the only possibility, is if the Palestinians become a full, real democracy. If they do that, yes, then there's a real, real possibility of a two-state solution. Until then, no. It's like agreeing to have a huge uh, uh, zoo with very wild animals and then, and then taking uh, away the fences and saying, okay, you two, you know, work together, make it work. It, it, it doesn't work that way, right? I, I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. Okay, they, these people are monsters. They've, they've revealed that they're monsters on October 7 and they've told you that they're going to do it again and again until Israel is destroyed. They, they want to obliterate Israel. It's from the river to the sea, which, by the way, is a Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. And guess what lies right between that, huh? Huh? <laughs> Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. Yes. Look, I mean, this is so funny because, I mean, it's tragic. We, we haven't learned from history. In this effort not to escalate, we think that somehow we are avoiding escalation, Right, but ironically, it's our effort not to escalate that causes the escalation. We are seeing much more escalation in the Middle East now with Iran and Pakistan, and the fact that the Houthis are lobbying attacks against us. The Red Sea has now been effectively blockaded, and now all uh, shipping, commercial shipping, has to go around the entire you know Horn of Africa uh, to to do shipping. I mean, it, it's going to cost a lot more for everyone as a result of that. Uh, the cost of goods and everything else, as if gas wasn't expensive enough, it's not going to be a hell of a lot more expensive too. So everything is escalating in the effort not to escalate, right? That's what happened with World War II. The the reason why World War II happened is because the allied powers, France, England, and even America to some extent, didn't want to escalate the tension. They didn't want a World War uh, again, so in, in their efforts to avoid World War II, they got World War II, right? It's like a, it's a Greek tragedy when you think about it. It's like, it's almost like, what's that uh, uh, Oedipus, right? Where in, in, in his effort, in their parents' effort to make sure that their child never kills the father and marry the mother, they, they send him away, right? Only to, to have him grow up not knowing who his father is and not knowing his mother is. And as a result, uh, when he grows up not knowing these people, he ends up killing his father and marrying his mother. <laughs> exactly the thing that they were trying to avoid. So this is a Greek tragedy. How about that? The Middle East situation as it is today is a Greek tragedy. All right. Uh, it, also in connection with that. So according to a new Gallup poll, nearly two-thirds of Israelis now oppose a Palestinian state, given what Hamas has done to them and to Gaza uh, and given the pro-terror sympathies of the corrupt Palestinian Authority, which governs most Palestinians in the West Bank. Uh, that's a radical reversal from the position of most Israelis just a decade ago, when twice as many Israeli adults supported an independent Palestinian state, meaning 61%, as opposed one, which was 30% at the time. Uh, 
But Hamas's rockets and terror attacks are responsible for the change. That's what they said. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Nothing like a rocket or two coming into your house from your neighbor to give you a little clarity on what your neighbor thinks of you. Right? That's it. <laughs> like, I, I wonder what he's thinking. Uh, anyway, it's, it's so sad that Israelis, uh, you know, it's a very Western outpost. That's, that's what it is. It's a Western democracy. You probably have noticed that. It's very much like uh, being in France or Germany or, uh, you know, or Spain. You, you, you have the feeling that you're not in the Middle East. You, you feel like you're in a European country when you go to Israel. And, and like the Europeans, the Israelis have a hubris uh, and they believe that things can be just great if, if we accept these people, you know, for their normal wants and needs. And we, we imbue upon them the same values that we have, but, but they don't have the same values. They've said it time and time again. It's not as if they're hiding it. They said they want to destroy Israel. But that's, that's not the same value. The Israelis never say we want to destroy all the Arab countries around us. They, they never said that. And they, they, they don't believe it. They want to live in peace. They'd be perfectly happy to not have an army, perfectly happy to not have to defend itself perfectly happy to, to do business with the Palestinians and the Arabs and everyone else. But that's not what they want. And that's the, the it's, it's laziness to not understand who your enemy is and what he wants. And it's the, 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 uh, the height of naivete and the destructive nature of naivete to believe that they want the same things that you do that they want to have families, they want to grow up and be doctors and lawyers and, and, and start new businesses and, and, and go to amusement parks and watch movies and, and, and play on TikTok. They don't want that. But now the Israelis are waking up to that. I, I'm shocked, frankly, that it's, that's two-thirds that, that, that agree now that, that they can't have a Palestinian state next to them. I'm, I'm shocked that there's, there's even one-third still remaining. Are you serious? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know, maybe it's the, the non-Jewish population that uh, figures largely into that remaining one-third. Who knows? Okay. Uh, I guess one last thing we'll talk about, because it's fascinating. Uh, it's Hunter. Hunter Biden, and now he's going to let himself uh, be deposed by the uh, Republican caucus on the Hill <clears throat> and uh, answer some tough questions. question is, you know, look, Hunter Biden is, uh, is a loose cannon. I don't know that he's still uh, high on drugs or has an alcohol problem or any of those things, but uh, he, he, he's obviously a guy who doesn't know good judgment. I mean, the fact that he went to the Hill the other day, I guess it was a week ago, suddenly appeared, uh, and, and then I guess, I don't know, was pretending somehow he was uh, honoring the subpoena against him, and he was complying with it. And then he, as soon as somebody asks him a question, he, starts, he just bolts. So I don't know if that's good planning, but somebody like that, who doesn't have the judgment or the foresight to figure that out, uh, I wonder what he's going to say um, during these depositions. Might he throw his own father under the bus? You know, by happenstance, by, by mistake. I don't know that he'll be able to follow a script that someone gives him. I think he's going to have to be confronted with certain things, and then he'll be saying, well, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, I mean, look, I'm a lawyer. I know how to get the truth out of people. And if you can't get it one way, you'll get it another way. And I don't know that he's smart enough to figure it out. So he might very well throw his father, father under the bus, uh, particularly when uh, he's facing very serious jail time. 
So look, uh, and why would we be surprised that he would do that, by the way? What, you, you think that family loyalty is that strong? I don't know about that. I don't. The reality is that he might have an opportunity to make himself look very good um, at the expense of his father. And that way he look uh, somewhat innocent. His dad somehow told him to do X, Y, or Z. I, I, don't, I don't know that he's willing to face that kind of jail time while his father is president. Now, his father may very well pardon him. I, I get it. But I don't know that he's thinking that, uh, that far through. Now, and don't forget, the Biden family, it's a very corrupt family. We all know that he's taken millions, not, not a couple thousand here and there from the Chinese, uh, that the whole art program that he did, right, where, uh, you know, he sells his so-called artwork for hundreds of thousands of dollars at a time. Uh, it, it's all garbage, of course. This is a transactional family. They understand relationships in terms of transactions. Like, it's like a, it's like a prostitute. Uh, you can have a relationship with a prostitute, and that's a transactional sort of relationship, right? Uh, you pay money to this woman, and this woman has sex with you. That's a transaction. And I think that's the way they view the world. They, they are willing to whore themselves, prostitute themselves, if you, if you like a more polite term, to the Chinese, saying, look, what would you like me to say and to do and, and to move my agenda toward? And you give me money. That's a transaction. Okay, they, they have no sense of patriotism or otherwise. They know they have to say the words uh, because people will, will lap up the words. Uh, well, he said he's patriotic. Well, he, he said he's doing the right thing for America. He said that the economy is doing great. So therefore, it's doing great. Therefore, he's patriotic. Therefore, he's taking care of the interests of America. You see how it works with them? So they, they, they play the game, but underneath, it's all transactional. Everything about them is transactional. And when, when you have a transactional family like that, don't be so surprised when your own son turns on you. Because after all, it's just business. All right, folks. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Barack Lurie signing off saying God bless. And we'll talk with you next week.